Hello and welcome to Train of Thought. My name is Rob Tobias. My guest today is Marsha Berman. Welcome. Hi. Good to be here. Yes. So we've been trying to do this interview for a little while, so I'm very glad it's happening. Um, you are, I know, a music educator. You've been a kindergarten teacher. You've taught music. Um, and starting way back in the 50s, uh, you started doing all this. So tell me a little bit about, about yourself and how you got started with music. Well, I come from a musical family. Everybody sings. I mean, everybody, some people play instruments, some people sing. So that was something we were doing all the time. And um, in the 50s, I started to get interested in folk music. There was a revival, a big folk music revival. And uh, I lived in Southern California. I've lived there for many decades, at least seven decades. So over the years, I got to meet a lot of musicians, a lot of people making music. And um, that, was, that was my passion. I mean, I couldn't not sing. I mean, it was, I had to. You talked about a, a folk revival. Who were some of your influences or, or heroes back then? Well, um, there were a lot of local people. There was Frank uh, Hamilton, Guy Carawan would come to town, Odetta, when Odetta had two names, you know, but she became very well known. And um, you said local, but this is Los local Angeles. Local in Southern California. Southern California. Right. And we just got together. We had hoot nannies. We brought other musicians in. Pete Seeger came and he would sing. Mm -hmm. And um, Woody Guthrie was around at that time. And we got to do a concert with Woody Guthrie, and that was big thrill. I bet. Yeah. When you say we, you're talking... We, just the folk singers. I, I mean, see. we weren't really... We, we just hung out. We didn't have a name. We weren't a professional group. We just would get together all the time in different people's homes and sit around and sing. And, uh, and out of those groups, there were a lot of people developing that went on to have careers much later, and some of them became professionals. And your career, a big part of it is doing music for children. Yes. And how did that? How did you get going on that? Or what? I know it's you did a, a an album for Folkways. Is that that's a Smith? Sm that was my first album, and uh, I was a kindergarten teacher. I had a degree from UCLA, and um, I uh, at the time I couldn't read music, and I thought, oh. I better write some songs because I can't read these other songs for children, so I'll just make up my own. And that's how I got started, writing songs. And um, <clears throat> a lot of those songs grew out of an event, you know, maybe the chicken laid an egg in the kindergarten class, uh -huh. and so everybody was very excited, and uh, I would write a song about it. That's how I got started. Um. And it was called activity songs. So a lot of, or, or was that just sort of? Well, a, when you work with young children, it's so interactive, as you probably know yes. from working with children. Yeah. It's not like they sit down and listen to a, an album without getting up and dancing around and moving. And so a lot of the songs that we did would encourage that movement, or even uh, asking children uh, questions like uh, the song, I'm Not Small. Uh -huh. uh, it, it asks, what would you carry on your back? 
and the children say, oh, uh, the Empire State Building, or my daddy, or uh, my school, my whole school. And that particular song came about um, from my cousin, Nancy, who uh, was about six years old, and we were at UCLA, and I said to her, Nancy, someday you'll probably go to this school. And she said, you know what? I'm so big, I can carry a house on my back. <laughs> and I thought, what a great idea for a song. So I created a song, and that particular song, children really like it. I mean, they, they are so powerless in so many ways. And the idea of them being in a powerful situation, they can carry anything on their back. I'm not small, I'm so tall, I can carry a house on my back. I'm not small, I'm so tall, I can carry a house on my back. And when I laugh, it will shake. If I drop it, it might break. I'm not small, I'm so tall, I can carry a house on my back. It's so great uh, for self-esteem and just and just diversity, identity. Uh, just say, I, yeah, I'm I'm not small. And I may be small now, but I'm yeah. big inside. And they're contributing. They're part of the process. They're making the song with you. Yeah. I was going to ask a general question about a uh, children's song. What in your mind? What makes a good children's song? Well, actually, you should ask a child rather than asking me. I mean, I depend on their reactions. Yeah. Um, I think something that comes from them, mm. very often um, a child will tell you something, and, and uh, it's so powerful. Like Patty Zaitlin, one of the women that I collaborated with, uh, had a child. She was a nursery school teacher for a while. And one of the children was having nightmares every night. And um, one day that child came to school and his teacher just listened to him and tried to comfort him. And he said, guess what, teacher? I don't have those bad dreams anymore. And she said, what, what did you do? You know, and, and the child said, well, I, I just yelled and scared them away. And she created a song called Scary Things, where the child, there's chorus where the child calls mommy daddy come in here help me and the child solves his own problem and that w that's been a favorite song for a lot of people because it it's a child's actual story how that child dealt with a problem yeah i see another song title of yours that maybe relates to this uh angry song the angry song yes the angry song is all about people being bossy and being a bully and pushing you around and making you do things you don't want to do. And it's helping you express, the child express anger. Because in the song, it says, uh, I don't like you. I don't like you. I don't like you today. And just get out of my way. Move. You may be angry and you may be mad and you may be feeling mean and bad and you want to hit and bite and hurt knock me down in the rocks and dirt but i hold up my hand and i say stop you can't hurt me but you can yell a lot i don't like you 
I don't like you today. I don't like you. I don't like you. Just get out of my way. I don't like you. I don't like you. And I think that song really is... Um, has something to say about not being pushed around. Yeah. Nobody likes to be pushed around, and little kids are pushed around. That remind I you know uh, this new movie's out, A Star Is Born. So I, oh, I, yes. I, I pulled up the 1954 version. Mm-hmm. Speaking of being pushed around, I mean, it, it just shows you how the gender thing has changed over years. I mean, Judy Garland in this plays this role, but the guy was just literally like shoving her there, this and there, like here. You, you know the, what men, how men and women interacted was very different in the fifties, wasn't it? It was very different. <laughs> yes, yeah. I remember having the experience of going to meetings and sitting in a group and trying to solve problems, and uh, a woman would come up with a great idea, but nobody seemed to hear it. And maybe we'd go around in a circle, and then a man would present the same idea, and everybody would say, "Great, let's go with that." Yeah. They they couldn't hear the woman. I'm looking over other song titles, um, Hello Rain, here in the Northwest. Maybe that makes is a, makes yeah. makes some sense. You did a whole album or project of Rain songs? I did. We did a Rainy Day Dances, Rainy Day Songs, and I collaborated with two women, uh, Patty Zaitlin, who is a composer, songwriter, and Ann Barlin, who was a dance specialist. And we collaborated on that um, on that album. Hello rain, hello rain. We want to play outside today. We want to play outside. Hello rain, hello rain. Raindrops fall. get your music out I, I noticed you were part of a creation of something called the children's artists making a living uh, camel camel yes. was that yeah. a way to to get these these your music projects out into the world I think so and also because we had a local one of our um, one of our songwriters Ruth Buell uh, she was known as Uncle Ruthie she had a radio program and that was a way of really getting our work out there, at least locally. Later on, I mean, I think we learned that um, you can just get so far on your own, but if you get together and have a little group of people and you're all working, maybe make a newsletter. So uh, Camel, or Children's Artists Making a Living, was just a local group in, in Los Angeles, but not yeah. a nationwide distribution. No, later there was a, a nationwide group that I did become a part of, Children's Music Network. And that had people from the East Coast. When I started out in the 50s and 60s, we were very isolated. We didn't, except if there was somebody who had been on an album then we would know their name. Charity Bailey had a children's album. Burl Ives had a children's album. I 
think probably Pete Seeger at that time, and that was about it, later Ella Jenkins. But um, I didn't realize how isolated we were. We didn't know that there were a lot of children's songwriters and on the East Coast. So when, when this organization was developed, I became a part of it, and I started meeting these terrific people from the East Coast that were writing music. And one of them was Malvina Reynolds, right? Well, Malvina Reynolds I knew from locally because she was in Berkeley, California when I got to know her. And um, she was a wonderful influence and uh, really a mentor and very helpful. I mean, she, in fact, the uh, series of albums that I did with uh, Patty Zaitlin, we did about seven or eight albums, um, Malvina listened to it early on, and she said, you know, you're, you have the two women's voices, but I think you need a man's voice to mm. be part of it. Yeah. And that's when we asked Dave Zaitlin to come and be a part of uh, our little recording group. And um, she was right. She was absolutely right. A, a balance. It is good to yeah. hear, hear a balance. Um, so Malvina Reynolds, for, for people that don't know her, she, they might know some of her songs, like Little Boxes was made, was made right. famous. Right. I, I like one of hers called uh, Love is Something When You Give It Away. Magic Penny, yeah. We, or Magic Penny. Well, yeah, that's uh, a wonderful song. It is a little. I like that song. Um, tell me more about her, because I'm, I'm fascinated with her writing. She, she was kind of crossed into political writing. and Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. She was a wonderful woman and a terrific writer and um, she was in Berkeley California and we would go up there and visit Malvina and um, she always had new songs and she would hear the news and she'd come up with three or four songs all the time I mean she was always singing a topical writer yeah yeah Um, and that was great that was a great influence I want to hear more about Malvina and a little bit more about um, your writing for children, but we're going to take a short break. My guest is Marsha Berman, a wonderful uh, music educator, songwriter, singer for, for many, many years. So we'll be right back. This is Train of Thought. My name's Rob Tobias. Train of Thought is produced at Maximo Productions in Eugene. If you have comments or feedback or ideas for interviews, email me at rob at robtobias.com. Welcome back to Train of Thought. My name's Rob Tobias. My guest is Marsha Berman. Uh, yes, you've done, you've done a few children's albums. I know um, when, I, when I work with kids, getting them to... To move and that you know interaction uh, with music and and movement and maybe some of the song lyrics sometimes tell them how to move or suggest movement. Um, is that was that always a part a big part of what you did too? It was a big part because I felt that children are so creative and they're also and they need to move. They're not going to sit there and listen for a forty five minute concert and just not move around. They want to talk. They want to interact. Um, I've had a child raise her hand in, in a concert and tell me that she lost a tooth. Because you're talking about yourself. It's very personal. And they are relating to you. And 
It's, and would would you sometimes spontaneously sing song about what they brought up? I mean, did you improv that? that I way? did sometimes, if uh-huh. I could. Yeah, sometimes I did. I mean, More a, not in a concert situation, but I did work with children in schools. I went in and taught um, folk music primarily and some of all the songs that people were writing, including my own songs. Mm-hmm. And um, that and was, I liked doing that a lot. You started to tell me a story before about Ann Barlin uh, before we started recording. And uh, I guess she was a, a, a dancer that worked with you on, on the Rainy Day uh, songs? We did. We made some albums together. We started the first one we did that was published by, a, I mean, we went to a company to have it made, was Rainy Day Songs, Rainy Day Dances. However, then we started uh, collaborating and making our own albums together. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we had to go out and sell those albums. So I, I'll never forget the first time we went out. We, um, we were in Fresno, I think. We were going to educational record stores where they sell to schools. And we had our, our product we were in baskets. And we walk in there and, you know, we're dressed in peasant blouses and dirndl cur- uh, skirts. And Anne says to the owner, I know we look like a couple of businesswomen, but we're actually the artist who made this product. And I, and I started laughing because we didn't look like businesswomen at all. You know, we <laughs> were just looked like hippies. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah. Uh, and did they buy the project from you <laughs> they bought it yeah. yeah some of it you know uh-huh. they would take it on consignment they take a few and right. after a while we decided that we were more interested in the creative aspect of making this product rather than selling product and um you know I mean, two years would go by and we we'd say we'd look at each other do you want to keep doing this no why don't <laughs> we we want to write songs we want to make dances and we want to perform them. And if we're out there just trying to sell product, then we're not going to get to do what we love to do. Um, I wonder, you're connected with a famous uh, music store and venue down in uh, Santa Monica called McCabe's, which actually I think is having their 60th anniversary. But it's a, it yes. was a small little music store, became <clears throat> kind of a concert venue that some famous people came through. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Just talk about your connection. and I guess you did some well, concerts there, too. I happen to have been married to Jerry McCabe. I see. That's one connection. <laughs> yeah. And we had a, a daughter who lives here locally in town. You uh-huh. know, my daughter. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, so this was a venue um, where people would come and sing and artists that performed there developed into big-time talent. Um, Jackson Brown was one person, Ry Cooter, Linda, Kate Wolf, oh, Linda, Linda Ronstadt. Ronstadt, I think, mm-hmm. also had been there. Mm-hmm. Um, Odetta sang there. I mean, I think everybody, all the folk music, all the folk people did. So it was a music store, there. but then it had a stage like in the back or something? It had a stage, yeah. and they sold guitars, and they had, um, they sold people's product, and um, they served coffee, and... You know, a lot of people uh, performed there. It was really a nice venue. They didn't, people weren't drinking, so they weren't, you know, distracted from listening. They were serious listeners of the music. And, um, and you did children's concerts? I, I ran a children's concert in collaboration with uh, J.P. Nightingale. We ran a series together. 
and uh, and we were able to bring in all the local talent because when you live in a place for decades, you know, for a long time, you know many of the folk musicians and children's musicians, and it was so nice to have a venue where you could bring those people in and give them a place to perform. Yeah. So we did a lot of a lot of concerts there. Tell me a little bit more about the folk music scene in general in the 60s. You called it a revival, and you were, you were out performing. What was the... It what was, was... What I was involved with was more casual. You know, it was people coming together in a living room and singing. Somebody mm-hmm. called them hootenannies. Yeah. You probably heard, heard of that word from long now ago. Now we have house concerts. But, yeah. You know, it's yeah. kind of like that. And it's, an, it's a great way to mm-hmm. be together and sing. And, it, and it, it's very different. I, I found out when I went to Northern California, to Berkeley, and went to one of theirs, that they had stars. I mean, they had people, the same three people would get to sing, and everybody else was just humming along with the chorus. Uh-huh. But in Southern California, anybody who wanted to could present a song, lead, lead off on a song, and um, it, was, it was a wonderful community. And then we had, um, we had uh, Bess Lomax Hawes and her husband Butch, they lived in Southern California for a while, and uh, she was really knowledgeable because she, her, her father and her brother, the Lomax family, had traveled around and collected all kinds of folk music. And she taught guitar, and actually, um, she she had this method for teaching where she'd bring everybody together. Some people were learning the banjo, the mandolin, and they were like a band, you Mm -hmm. know, she would present you with a song and you had lead sheets and everybody joined in and uh, it was a regular band in a sense. Um, You brought me one song, Red Rosie Bush. Red Rosie Bush in the 50s, um, we had coffee houses, there was one well-known coffee coffee house called the Ash Grove and um, I was in a group of people, there were four of us, Mike Janis, Ethel Rame, uh, Victor Pierce, and myself, and we called ourselves the New Road Singers, and we sang at the Ashgrove. And uh, Red Rosie Bush was a duet that I did a cappella with uh, Ethel Rame, who's an outstanding, uh, not only a wonderful singer, but she had a group in, on the East Coast uh, and made some albums and uh, taught choral singing. Wish I was a red rosy bush on the banks of the sea, and every time my true lover would pass, he would pick a rose off of me. We have met and we have parted. You are all this world to 
much a lifetime of music we could, it's, this show is not long enough to cover it at all but <laughs> but uh, since we're getting to the close I thought we'd get to the lullabies that's always sort of a, a, a you know maybe a closer kind of thing but talk about your the lullaby album the lullaby album was the last album I made and um, a friend had the idea of taking standard songs and slowing them down and turning them into lullabies and um, it was a wonderful experience working mm. on that because I had John Bacchino as an arranger. Uh, he was a wonderful musician. And the song Lullaby of the Leaves? Lullaby of the Leaves um, is an old song talking about the South. And um, it's written by the lyrics or by Joe Young. And the, uh, and the music is by Bernice Petcary. And she was local in Southern California. I did uh, get to speak with her and communicate by mail, but I never did get to meet her. She, I, and, um, but her manager was able to send me the very song that I wanted to do. He had a whole string of people on one little cassette, you know, that had done that same song. So that was kind of an interesting experience. Sing me to sleep Lullaby of the leaves Cover me with heaven's blue And let me dream a dream or two Oh, sing me to sleep Lullaby of the leaves Grazing along, along with the breeze I'm hearing a song, a song through the trees Ooh, that pine melody caressing the shore Familiar to me, I've heard it before Ooh, that Southland, don't I feel it in my soul And don't I know I've reached my goal Oh, sing me to sleep Lullaby of the leaves And you started out, you said you were working for other people that uh, were already sort of in the music business, but then eventually you moved to being independent. Yes, yes. In the beginning, when I collaborated with Patty Zaitlin, we went to educational activities. Mm -hmm. They were actually, I, I always imagined that they were, they were musicians on the other end, but they were business people. And um, we worked for them. We did about seven or eight albums. And then we decided um, that we wanted to do our own albums and be in charge because we were producing the albums. They were paying for it. We were choosing the talent. We were choosing the songs. I mean, we, we had learned how to do it on our own. All we needed to do was sell that product for a while and get enough money to make the next album. 
Well, thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk. Um, we could even sing. We could even sing. But uh, I'll play a little bit of, uh, of one of your albums here on the way out. But if people want to find um, any of your music that you've done over the years on uh, online, they can go to, you say it, pattyzaitlin.com, is that right? That's correct. P-A-T-T-Y-Z-E-I-T-L-I-N.com. All one word, dot yeah. com. Yes. Um, excellent. Well, I think I'll take us out on a little bit of a Beatles song that you were part of. Good night. Because oh, uh, I'm okay. such a Beatles fan. And uh, this is on the Lull- Lullabies um, album. Thanks again. You're listening to Train of Thought. My name's Rob Tobias. Until next time. <laughs>